Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Highway Community Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us, wherever it is that you're tuning in from. At Highway, we believe that as followers of Jesus, we're called to live as sent missionaries in our neighborhoods, schools, workplaces, and among the least of these, and that community plays a vital role in that. If you want to join us as we live into Jesus's greatest commandment, to love God with our whole selves and to love our neighbors as ourselves, you can head over to highway.org and click engage in the upper right-hand corner to connect with one of our different ministry areas or click connect to reach out to one of our pastors with a question or a prayer request. Whether you're here in the Bay Area or not, we'd love to connect with you. Uh, This morning, we're continuing our series called Centered, uh, where we've been spending time with Paul's letter to the Colossians and looking at what happens when we center our lives on Jesus, how it shapes who we are and how it shapes what we do. And centering our lives on Jesus is something that can be easier said than done. And so last week, we started a conversation about the choices that we make and how they represent the intersection of these two things that we hold in tension, the things that God has done for us that we could never do for ourselves and our personal responsibility uh, because we've been given new life, a new identity in Christ, and that new life, that new identity are things that we have to choose to live into. And God meets us in those choices with grace and with love. And so last week, we looked at some choices that Paul set in front of the Colossian church at the beginning of chapter 3 to help them live into the new them, and that could help us live into the new us. You know, we talked about where we set our hearts and minds, like Paul says, either on things above or on earthly things. We talked about why that matters, because we choose what we love and we gravitate towards what we're occupied with. And God meets us in this choice by helping us become more aware and to start to recognize when our hearts and minds are set on something else, and by helping us return them back when we recognize it. And we talked about the choice to take off the old self, you know, this tension that God has made us new, but the old self does not go quietly. And so when we run into our old habits, our old ways of seeing and being in the world, we have to choose to take them off by digging down to the roots of what's causing them. And that's where God meets us. When we name what's really going on, when we say, God, this is the truth of where I'm at but I want to take off my old self. And so will you meet me in this and lead me in your way? And we ended with the choice to put on the new self, uh, that Colossians 3.3 reality that you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God, that there is a new you, and that God doesn't see who you were, but sees who he made you to be. And that's where we're going to pick up this week to talk about what it means to put on the new self and what happens when we do. And as we work through the back half of Colossians 3 today, uh, there are, uh, these are the dots that I want to connect for us. Uh, To put on the new self starts with seeing ourselves how God sees us. And living from that reality frees us to put on Jesus's character, which then transforms how we see and relate to each other. As we get started in our time together, would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together, even digitally. God, I pray that your words from your scriptures would meet us in our hearts today, that it meet us in our minds today, 
God, that you would remind us of who you've made us to be. And that would create freedom in us to love each other and relate to each other in a new and different and Jesus-like kind of way. We love you and give you this time. We pray these things in and for your name. Amen. Well, last week we ended with a question. Who do you see? Do you see the old you or the new you? And that question is really important because the way we answer it says a lot about what we think is real about ourselves and the world around us. And that has a profound impact on how we see and treat each other. You know, one thing that happened during the pandemic is we became low-key suburban chicken farmers. They are our COVID pets and beloved members of our family. And a couple of weeks ago, we got two new chickens, Eggy, who is an olive egger who lays these really beautiful blue-green eggs, and Sizzy Moombo, the sizzle-feathered silky, who is just as ridiculous as her name is. And this week, we've been working on slowly introducing them to the others, you know, all of which are usually really tame lap chickens. Uh, but this week, it's like I've got a pack of velociraptors in my backyard, and they circle each other, you know, frill out their neck feathers and make these crazy sounds that I promise you sounds like something out of Jurassic Park. And if we didn't keep them separated by this little metal fence, they would just destroy each other. See, they've got this animal instinct to try to establish dominance over each other because their animal minds are set to a reality where self-preservation is priority number one. Uh, because what they have this innate drive to find of food, shelter, protection from predators is scarce. But at our house, none of those things are scarce. They're lap chickens. <laughs> Uh, but they don't live from that reality. And so they're fighting to figure out who gets first dibs. So what we think is real about ourselves and the world around us has a profound impact on how we relate to each other. Because uh, people aren't that different. <laughs> We're not that different. And, and that's why we center ourselves on Jesus and put on the new self because it helps us step out of our old ways of seeing and being in the world and orients us to God's reality. It reminds us of what's most true about ourselves and each other. If you've got a copy of the scriptures with you, go ahead and turn or tap your way to Colossians chapter 3. We made it through verse 11 last week, and today we'll pick right back up starting with verse 12. And as we start just with this one verse, Listen for what Paul is saying about what's real, about who we are. Take a look with me at Colossians 3, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, this is our new self. And putting on the new self starts with seeing ourselves how God sees us. As chosen, as holy, as dearly loved. This is how God sees us. This is what's most true about us. But is this the reality that you live in? Do you know and live from a place where this is true? And see, here's our tension again from last week. This is who we are because of what God has done for us. 
but we have to choose to live into it. And, and look, it can take a while. It will take us time to unwind from those old ways of seeing ourselves, those old voices that have told us who we are. It won't be automatic. This is a choice we'll have to make every day, all the time, to reorient to God's reality, who he says that we are. And we'll do some dot connecting on how this impacts how we see and relate to each other in just a bit. But before we do, like if you're here with us, and feeling stuck in this. I just want to say a few things that are true about you today. That you don't have to hit whatever someone else's mark is. Whether that's to be smart, successful, beautiful enough, whatever, to be wanted. What's true about you is that you're chosen. Look, for all the talk about the choices that we make uh, this last couple weeks, this is the truth. Before you made any choice towards God, God had already chosen you. You are chosen and you are holy, not because you're perfect or because you always get it right, but because Jesus was perfect on your behalf. And so now when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. The old you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. You are chosen. You are holy. And please hear me today. You are dearly loved. That is how God sees you. This is what's most true about you. And look, there's all sorts of things that make us feel otherwise. Seeing ourselves how God sees us is a choice we'll have to make every day, all the time. We need to remind ourselves that this is true. This is who we are. And do you remember the old Stuart Smalley sketches on Saturday Night Live? You know, when Al Franken would sit in front of the mirror and say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, gosh darn it, people like me. I'm not saying to do that, uh, but I'm also not saying that's a bad idea. Maybe Colossians 3.12 is something that you pray through before your meetings or head into any tough conversations or when you run into something or someone that pulls you back towards that old way of seeing yourself. So you remember how God sees you. Uh, All right, let's connect some dots between how we see ourselves and how we relate to each other. And when we choose to put on the new self and see ourselves how God sees us, you know, chosen, holy, dearly loved, it creates space for us to see and be in the world in a different way. It frees us from having to chase after those things anymore or make them for ourselves or take them from each other. We don't have to be the chickens in the backyard anymore. I just want to offer this morning that that's what sits underneath You know, that's what's really at the roots of so much of the brokenness and how we relate to each other. It's a product of the old reality where love isn't a guarantee, where we have to always be right to be holy or or where we have to be enough of something to be wanted. And so someone has to be less for us to be more. Seeing ourselves as God sees us changes a lot for us. It frees us from all of the junk that we create and the pressure and the hurt that we carry from trying to chase after belovedness and chase after the chosenness that God's already given us. And that freedom makes space for us to see and be in the world in a different way. And that changes 
the way that we relate to each other. Let's go back to verse 12 and continue now through verse 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Can you see the progression here? The dots that Paul is connecting. Therefore, since you are chosen, holy, and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Forgive each other. Put on love that holds all of these together. And Paul's riffing off of an Old Testament tradition, largely in Job, the Psalms, and the book of Isaiah, to let clothing be a representation of character. And this is the kind of character that Paul associates with the new self. And I've got a question. Who does this sound like? Compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient, forgiving, loving. I know it's going to be a shocker. It's Jesus. In Romans 13, he makes this link more explicit and begins Romans 13, verse 14, by writing, Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Putting on the new self starts with seeing ourselves as God sees us, which then frees us to put on Jesus' character. And the impact is it's like this. Have you ever been in a conflict with someone and it's going nowhere? Of course you haven't. It's just me. But it's, you know, you're in this conflict and it's going nowhere. And then you hit this moment where you, you feel seen and understood by the other person. And it's like as soon as that happens, this well of empathy and compassion and what can I do now to understand you in return rises up in us. And Paul is saying that putting on the new self is like living in that experience permanently. Yeah, to know and live from the place that we are chosen, we are holy, and we are dearly loved. And when we live from that place, it opens up this floodgate for compassion, for kindness, for humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. And I love this image from Romans 13, to put on Jesus. And I think that gives us a great image to work with as we look at how Paul closes this section, you know, to put on love, which holds all of these things together. And what I want to offer us this morning is that both of these ideas we've been working with, you know, about what it means to put on the new self, is seeing ourselves as God sees us and letting that free us to put on Jesus's character. Both of those things intersect in this one phrase. Because, look, with all the history that each of us carries, the experiences that we've had, and the voices that have spoken into how we see ourselves, how do we put on the new self, see ourselves as God sees us? We put on Jesus, who loved us first, by whose wounds we've been healed. Like We put on Jesus. The old us died and our lives are now hidden with him. And then how do we live into that new us? We put on Jesus. And when we put on God's love for us, it frees us. It makes the space for us to put on God's love for each other. Because we don't have to see each other as less to make ourselves more.
And this intersection here really informs the rest of what Paul writes about. He's been building for a long time towards an ethic that he'll name in verse 17, and that he'll unpack in the rest of our passage today. And this is where all of the pieces that we've been talking about over the past few weeks fall into place. Let's hop back into Colossians chapter 3, picking up in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. There's our centered theme again. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Here we are, verse 17, where all these pieces that Paul has laid out and what we've looked at over the last few weeks fit together. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, when we center our lives on Jesus, it shapes who we are and what we do. And so Paul says, whatever you do and whatever you say, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about what that means and then tie some threads from the past couple of weeks together and then let Paul lead us in where to start. See, to do something in someone's name means you do so as their empowered representative. You you speak and act on their behalf, and you do so with their permission and in their authority. You're you're given capacity. And Jesus talks about doing things in his name all the time. says things like, whatever you ask in my name will be given to you. I want to come back to this permission, authority, and capacity thing, though. I got invited to play in this basketball game some years ago uh, that was kind of a big deal, and I was really excited about it until I remembered that I can't play basketball. It's not that I didn't try, but my career ended in junior high as the multiple-year-in-a-row winner of the Hustle Award, which I'm pretty sure they gave me because I wasn't actually good. I was trying, but not good enough to get any of the other 45 awards that they give out of these end-of-the-year banquet things. I had a very strange instinct in that moment, though, which was to acquire basketball clothes, to put them on and show up to the game as if that would somehow cover the fact that I'm not a basketball player. I'll tell you the rest of the story another time, but let's just say it did not go well for me. See, I could look like a basketball player all I wanted, But that didn't change the truth that I hadn't put in the time or made the choices to become one. And so I was not empowered and did not have the authority or capacity to live it out. I think sometimes we get ahead of ourselves and do or say or pray something in Jesus' name before we live our lives rooted in what that means. That we can speak and act in Jesus' name only to the degree that we live in it. Uh, Like what we were talking about earlier, we can only live out Jesus' character to the degree that we put it on. And we center our lives on Jesus because it shapes who we are and what we do. Which is another way of saying we center our lives on Jesus so that we can live our lives in his name. And all these choices that we've been talking about over the last few weeks, what gets our attention, where we set our hearts and our minds, to take off the old self, to put on the new self, to see ourselves how God sees us, and to put on Jesus' character are all parts of the journey 
of living a life in Jesus' name in everything we do. Does anybody else find that, though, a a little frustratingly ambiguous? Whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Like, okay, Paul, can you break that down for us a little more? And say, what I both hate and love about what Paul is doing here is that he's giving us an ethic to live into in everything that we do rather than a set of instructions to live by. He leaves us in the tension of how to live in Jesus' name in everything we say and do. And in that is an invitation to grow up a little bit, to take ownership of integrating our faith with our lives, to break down that sacred and secular divide rather than just being told what to do. It's a good spiritual parenting. And that is a little foreshadowing for our last section. And so how does Paul land this thing? Uh, By connecting the dots about how putting on our new self transforms our relationships. And and he starts with the household, with the home. And and I love that choice because if we're going to talk about what's real, let's start with who we are at home. And, And we'll see here that Paul doesn't give an exhaustive list of things to do or not do, but he does paint a picture He he seeds the imagination of what it can look like when centering our lives on Jesus starts to transform our relationships. Let's take a look at Colossians 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, Do not embitter your children, or they'll become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. And here's what I want us to hear. How centering our lives on Jesus transforms our relationships. Like in each of these pairs, wives and husbands, children and fathers, slaves and masters, everyone is given the dignity of responsibility. Everyone is given the dignity of responsibility to each other. Like No one got a free pass in Paul's day because of high or low status or how empowered they were culturally in that relationship. Everyone was given the dignity of responsibility in how they acted toward each other. And see, the thread here is a transition from using our relationships as a means of self-assertion you know, or to get our needs met, or for some kind of validation. Uh, to see the transition from using our relationships as a means of self-assertion to a means of self-giving. Uh, look, we're holy, we're chosen, we're dearly loved, and so our relationships don't have to be where we fight for those things anymore. They can become where we fight for each other to live into that reality too. When you see yourself as who God says you are, you can start to see the people in your life as who God says they are. 
even if it's not who they are right now. And the final thing I'll say about how centering our lives on Christ transforms our relationships is that it transfers the responsibility in how we treat each other. You know, from looking for a response that we get back from the people around us to living a life of faithfulness to who God has called us to be and to put on Jesus's character. Because ultimately, we're living into our call to live our lives in his name. Man, what a ride. (laughs) Centering our lives on Jesus shapes who we are and what we do. And we put on our new self when we, to put on our new self, we see ourselves how God sees us. And we put on Jesus's character. And that transforms our relationships, the way we see and relate to each other. And we'll see you next week as we close out this series.